I think there's a misconception, and maybe at one point it was true, that marketing is about grabbing attention. And I think that's so fundamentally flawed. And again, whether it was true in a bygone era, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't think it was ever true. But it seems to be the interpretation a lot of people have. Grab attention and the job is done. Awareness. If they only knew we existed, then then the good things would happen. That's Jay Kunzo, author of Break the Wheel, host of the Three Clips podcast, and founder of Marketing Showrunners. On this episode, we sit down and talk about all things podcast and show related. From conception to how to build an audience of evangelists, and ultimately distribution. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lights, Camera, Grow podcast. My name is Jared. And today's podcast, we have special guest Jay Akunzo. What's going on, Jay? How's it going, Jared? Thanks so much for, for your, first of all, your support of my work and my company, but also having me on the show. Yeah, no, no problem, man. We are uh, super big fans of yours. Um, Mutual Connect connected us, obviously, but I've been following marketer uh, marketing showrunners for I think since you you can like initially launched it. Um, so yeah, super big fan, man. Love the work that you're putting out. Uh, also a big fan of. Uh, a few other bullet points here that I'm going to kind of rattle off. So <laughs> marketing showrunners, we already dropped. Uh, author of Break the Wheel, host of three the Three Clips podcast, which is the podcast that supports marketing showrunners, and the cr- uh, co-creator of the new docuseries Against the Grain, which I'm a big fan of as well. So to- total fan of your work, man. Uh, that's yeah. so nice. That's really, really nice of you. That's, uh, that's like the tip of the iceberg. What people don't see under the, the water, so to speak, is like the 99% of the stuff that I put out into the world that zero people know exists or yeah, care about. Sure. So it's really nice to hear you say, hey, there's some things you're doing that we both know and like. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I get that. Um, cool. So that's, like you said, surface level. Why don't you give our audience a little bit who may not have heard of you uh, a little bit of overview who, who you are and kind of like how you got to today? Yeah, I like spending most of my time helping other makers and marketers. Um, the way I like to phrase it is find and share their voice and use the created work to make a difference. So that could be make a difference for their careers, make a difference for their brands, make a difference for the community that they want to serve. And certainly that last part stays ever present no matter the goal. Um, and so, you know, the way I do that changes all the time. Um, you kind of hinted at this, but I'm, I'm a bit of a multi-hyphenate, I guess. It's hard to say at a, a party exactly what I do. Um, there was a time where I could say, oh, I'm, a, I'm in sales at Google, or I'm a marketer for HubSpot, or I'm a, a VP at a venture capital firm. That, that was a past version of my work. Um, but since 2016, I've been out on my own and um, lots of sp- public speaking, wrote the book, uh, lots of making my own shows. That turned into making shows for clients, for brands. And then today, um, I still do some of that. Like you mentioned, Against the Grain is this video documentary series, very travel-like in its nature before the quarantine started. Um, That's coming out August 18th. And uh, so I still make some shows with brand partners. But the primary things that I focus on are uh, teaching other people how to create shows of all kinds that, that make a difference. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's um and you know, I guess that leads us kind of like into our our conversation today, but let's take a step back and just talk about 2020 and just ha- kind of how the climate has changed, right? Um and one thing I actually didn't mention, I hope you're you're safe and your family's doing well because I know Thanks, all back of, at you. Yeah, everybody we're doing like, well. Whole family's healthy. I have three of my grandparents. Um they they are all in their 90s and they're they're well. Um you know, all on down to my almost 2-year-old daughter. Everyone's doing great. So thanks Amazing. and then right back at you and also anyone listening, of course. Yeah. It's uh it's obviously we we know it's challenging times, but going into the segue topic, I you know, 
I would say podcasting in general is like something that is not new, right? It's been around for a really long time. And I wouldn't even say it's uh, getting it's it's even past maybe the super popular point because there's tons of celebrity shows. There's tons of big brands that are doing it now. So, right. So it's re- a really crowded space. But one thing that we believe in our agency is that every company, um, whether you're uh, an individual who runs a company or you're a, a large company, has a chance to have a voice in the B2B sector using the format of podcasting. Um, and that's kind of like what I'd like to break down a little bit with you today. Um, so I, I guess I'll jump right into it. What do you think, and as you're teaching this to other mm-hmm. business owners, I'm assuming, what do you think um, podcasting looks like and why businesses should maybe invest in thinking about a show or a podcast? And I'll frame it as a show because I know marketing showrunners is really big on the the show premise. So um, I, I want to kind of throw that in there. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you kind of speak on that. Sure. Yeah. When we define show and we say podcast, we say video series, we say docu-series, we're kind of medium agnostic. We're almost really even project agnostic, which might sound weird because we're talking about shows. It's just that we happen to believe the best way to execute on our belief system is for others to make a show. So let me give you the belief system first, because I think it's really important and it should logically lead to, oh, and by the way, you should probably make a show if you believe this. So. I think there's a misconception, and maybe at one point it was true, that marketing is about grabbing attention. And I think that's so fundamentally flawed. And again, whether it was true in a bygone era, I'm not sure. Um, I I don't think it was ever true. But it seems to be the interpretation a lot of people have. Grab attention and the job is done. Awareness. If they only knew we existed, then then the good things would happen. Um, Not true. Awareness is not enough. It's a proxy for what we really want, which is affinity. In other words, the job of a marketer is not to grab attention, it's to hold it because the job is to earn trust and love. And that stuff happens over time. Um, So there's no one little magic hack or technique that'll do this for you. The only real tactic, and I'm using air quotes for those listening to the audio here, the only real tactic that works to hold attention is to build a better experience that people genuinely want to invest a lot of time with. Um, You can't trick or coerce your way forward, um, which flies in the face of a lot of marketers. Nobody listening to this show, of course, but a lot of marketers are just focused on sort of the, the sneaky ways of gaming systems and grabbing attention. It's not, not the job. It's insufficient. It's about holding attention. Or if you want to treat other people like actual people, we can rephrase that and say it like this. Great marketing is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So when you think of it that way, now you're in the business of earning trust and love. Now you're in the business of making things not to promote a product or a service, that's a byproduct. You're not making things to get downloads or views or reach. Again, those are byproducts of doing the real job well. The real job is making things that make a difference to your company, to your career, and absolutely to your communities. And so we just happen to think the best vehicle at a creator's disposal today is the show because shows are built expressly to hold attention and to go deep in a world trending shallow. And so we can talk about some of the marketing benefits and it sounds more marketing-y, if you will. But if you just strip away some of the terminology of our field and you look at the human element, which is, by the way, where we should all begin, um, making shows is the best way to make change and to serve people more deeply because that's our job. So we should probably consider shows more fully. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many great points that you made there. And the through line that I think being that your medium agnostic is it's about telling the story to um, 
to deepen that relationship, right? And that's the thing that people connect to is the story, right? And this is like the 150 million year old thing where <laughs> it's either writing on a cave wall or or writing and, you know, having a podcast series or directing a TV show. It's always about um, what is the storyline that you're connecting through with the audience that you're essentially trying to grav- gravitate towards or gravi- have gravitate towards you. Right. You know, and, and I think it's, it's easy to um, get lost in the interpretation of the word story because sure. some people are like, we have a brand story and you visit their homepage and it's like, we help you optimize for Google search. It's like, <laughs> not, not really. That's not, not a brand story. It's maybe what you do. It's not really how you do it or why you do it. Um, so, the, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's this idea that like, well, I can't tell Lord of the Rings level narratives here. Uh, story to me is just three different things and it applies in the tiniest possible setting all the way up to the grandest narratives. I call this the one simple story. It's just to remind you of what a story is. Um, status quo, statement of fact, something's happening in the world. Like I said before, you know, marketing for many years, people interpreted it as grabbing attention, you know, conflict that disrupts the status quo, but this changed or this happened or we realize this now. So the conflict, and that's where the arc starts to go upward in the narrative, status quo, conflict, and then resolution to the conflict. And if you have those three things, you have the makings of a great story. And that to me is like the, the like atomic unit of telling a brand's story, whether it's in a show or on a website or ideally all around, is just construct those things from the point of view of whoever you're trying to serve. So, you know, this is what you're doing day to day, or this is what the common advice is or conventional wisdom, status quo. But we believe or but this happened or but we've observed X, Y, or Z conflict, tension, open-ended questions. And so here's our resolution. Here's not our product or service, but here's the better way, the vision we have for getting past this conflict that you face, dear listener or customer. Um, And oh, by the way, we're building a product or service to help hasten that vision into the world. Now, if you notice, I keep saying the word vision it's because all these people we admire as visionaries, they don't see the future. They don't have a vision of the future. They have a vision for the future. So you have to have a point of view for a story to work, I think, at least in a marketing context. You can't just say, if you want that, we also have that, along right. with everybody else that we compete with, right? That story makes you an original. So it's wonderful for a podcast. It's also wonderful for a brand. So when you're when you're constructing your shows with um you know either when you're thinking about it yourself or you're constructing it with a, a potential client um do you find it's hard to kind of siphon some of that those story elements out or at least make them feel comfortable <laughs> to tell these stories Yeah, yeah you know the, so we run um podcast workshops they're they're intensive they're online experiences the way we see it is over the next eight weeks, if you have a podcast or you're about to launch one, you're going to be working over those eight weeks anyway. If you join the workshop, you're doing it with a guided system and a support group and, and one of us at the helm from the team um, right now, squarely me. So in the first version of the workshop, the, the alpha class, we called it, one of the first couple of exercises, there's a lot of writing and strategy development and content development. But as we're trying to do real work, I thought, well, why don't we start with this kind of conversation, Jared? Like what is the story you're trying to tell, who you're trying to serve. So I ask people two questions. One, who is your show for and not for? Because I think that's a really helpful use of content. It's this like friction system. Like some people get through the, fil- the filter and they're in your corner all the way because they really deeply love what you're doing. Some people are repelled by it. And that usually happens on the psychographic level, not demographics. Because it's easy to say we serve sales, not HR. 
Um, it's easy to say we serve nice people, not jerks. It's harder to say, well, we believe that this work should look like this and not like that. Um, but that's how you bring people all the way to your corner. So that was the first question. Who are you for and not for? You have to figure that out. Sure. But it turns out if that's the first thing out of your mouth to another group of people, it's really hard to just come up with this. To your point, it's hard to tell who the story is for in theory. Um, the second question I asked is, here's the one simple story structure. What's yours? Again, really hard really to just hard. fabricate it. Yeah. Really hard, right? So now what we do is we, we reset all the way back to what I call the frustration statement. Or if you're not like me and you're Sicilian and the blood boils quick, <laughs> you can say your curiosity statement instead. But the idea here is this. Something about the status quo is broken or insufficient or backwards. We're flipping it to curiosity. Something happening in the world is not being explored or understood deeply or well enough. What is that thing in your point of view? If you're the show host, if you're the marketer, if you're the CMO, like everybody should be marching in step towards trying to figure that out. And sometimes our students come back and they say, well, actually, you know, we're trying to explore this one narrow problem within entrepreneurship. Our target market is entrepreneurs, but what a saturated space that is. We have a belief about entrepreneurship that involves fear. So rather than talk about all the success stories that an entrepreneur might have and all the tips and tricks, which by the way is a total commodity today in podcast form and other forms. Right. Um, we had a student say, well, I really want to own the idea that when you work with our company, the services we're designing and the courses we're selling you are designed to help you overcome fears because we think that's the biggest obstacle to being a great entrepreneur. And it comes through in logo design all the way up to grand visions for your company and everything in between. And so that person experienced what I'd call like a breakthrough. It's not a hack or a little trick. It's when something snaps into place, or maybe you call it an unlock. He sees the world more clearly as a founder, this student of ours, his name is Rod from Vancouver. And now he's able to go deep with what he's frustrated by is the way we usually talk about entrepreneurship, the way we put people up on a pedestal, the way we look at silver bullets, and we ignore this idea of fear. So come with him on this journey to understand how to smash fears. The show is called Smashing Fears. Nice. Right? So he's a great example of when you start with just authentically thinking about the people you aim to serve and your participation in that community, the story is there. It's just below the surface. And what we're trying to do is help you first identify what's obvious and then point out, okay, these three things here look like the three pieces of the story. So like write that now, like little step by little step, you're building something that feels big to somebody else. That's yeah. And man, that's amazing. Um, I, I think it's like, it, it is hard to get under, underneath that surface area and yeah. either yeah. wipe away like a, pre, you know, like a, and I guess it's with anything, right? You're just trying to wipe away thoughts that you may have always had. You're trying to like, kind of like reset yourself. Like you said, unlock, uh, to get to, to get to that level. But I do, the one thing that really stuck out to me right there where you mentioned is the community serving. I think that obviously yeah. gets missed quite a bit. Um, and it's funny cause I do think it, it happens in a lot of places in social media, you know, for instance, mm -hmm. like there's people that are doing things because they're, they know their community will enjoy react or wh whatever the, the outcome is. But I do think it's missed in, um, in, in marketing in general. Yeah. <laughs> to be, yeah. To be I mean, very, very simple questions like design thinking is this whole school of thought. There's very yeah. simple questions there. Who is this for? Also, right. who is this not for? Um, 
what is this for? In other words, what role is it serving not for your business, but for that person, for the other people you're trying to serve? And then how will we know it's working, right? So really simple design thinking questions that I don't, I don't own those. That's just a common body of knowledge. But how do you interpret that for a show? Well, I like to think of it as a question your listeners asking you and a question you should ask yourself. The question your listener is always going to be asking you is how will, what will be different when I'm done? Right. So if I listen to this episode or if I listen to the entire show, what will be different when I'm done? Right. If you can't describe that or the way you describe it sounds like everybody else's description of their value too, you have a problem, right? You're not thinking about the other person. Um, Hold on. I got to get to the chalkboard. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, you're you're trend hopping and you're copying everyone else. So that's one question is always imagine your listener is over your shoulder thinking that and asking you that, hey, what's going to be different when I'm done? Then the other question you should ask yourself is, Imagine you're going to promote the show, whether it's new or it's existing, you're ready to promote it. Uh, what if you couldn't talk about what it was until you conveyed why it exists? You know, what if instead of like Against the Grain is a really good example. It's a docu-series. I'm super excited about it. I got to do my uh, pretty terrible, but still very earnest uh, Anthony Bourdain impression in a business context. So storytelling idol is Bourdain. Um, rest in power, that guy, man. But uh, so, so I could just scream about, I did this thing. I made this thing. Here's what it is. The better way to participate in the community, I wouldn't even say promote, is, is to tell people, this is what we think is broken. It's the one simple story. We think that the business success story, it, it applauds late stage capitalism that damages the world. It turns out more Zuckerbergs than, uh, and Facebooks than Patagonias. This is a problem. We have to redefine the business success story. If you believe that, come along this journey. We're trying to figure that out. That's the show. If you don't, no problem. High five, handshake and hugs. I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I don't dislike you, but the show is not for you. And so like that to me is us talking about why it exists before we can say what it is. Oh, by the way, it happens to be a docu-series. The problem with most marketing content is the reason it exists is because it's either a thing they heard about elsewhere. It's a trend or it's about an internal objective, not an audience objective. And that's the problem. No amount of marketing is going to save that. So you might as well catch this stuff early. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of pivot a little bit, as you're building these shows, and I know you're you're focusing more, you said you're, you mentioned you're focusing more on like the entrepreneur community. Um, no, no, no. That was the show. That oh, the that student, was just specifically for that had show. Was, got it. Yep, got it. Student. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Strike that from the record. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then that opens up this question. This is great. Okay. Um, so a lot of questions that we have when we're approaching um, a client who's interested in, in building shows, because we like to think that we're doing a great job building shows as well. Um, and we think about a, a lot of the same parallels that, that you just kind of laid out. Um, one thing, and you know, obviously there's a business air quotes for people who are listening, but there's a business aspect of this. And when you're creating something like a podcast or a series, there is a little bit of a shelf life, but there's also the ability to continue this thing forever, right? A podcast can technically continue forever. Uh, and that's the hopes of it. If you have a, a good enough concept. Um, so we believe that as we're creating these, we position something in their thinking, like you guys need to think about yourselves as a media company. To, to be, you know, another component as you're building content, because it's no longer like, let's just put up a bunch of graphics or some, you know, fancy pictures, video and rich media format is a pretty big, um, 
it's a pretty big thing in today's realm in general and just in the internet, right? Video is outplaying everything. Audio is closely getting there. Um, what are your thoughts? And, and I don't know how you may not position this or how you do position this when you're talking about making sure that these companies that come to you that are building shows are also thinking of themselves as like, okay, now you need to think like a media company to continue yeah. this once we get past this you know, initial show. Yeah, I, I'd almost like dig into that that notion of media company. You know, content marketing as a term has been around for more than a decade at least. And so you think about that phrase, that's what followed. Yeah. What does it mean to be a content marketer? Well, you're acting more like a media company than a brand that sells products and services. The problem therein is the brand sells a product or a service, sure. not ad space. And also, if you look at a lot of media companies, you know, they are rewarded by chasing sensationalism and promoting extremism because of the advertising business model. Like right. we have this golden opportunity where our business models are not crumbling, nor do they incentivize dividing people and, you know, hate for profit. So I, I would drill into media company and I'd phrase it in a couple different ways. I'd think about what if you acted like a niche editorial team? Right. So take out the company aspect and think about the editorial team within that company. And now add niche. Right. So like you're not trying to be a general publication. You're not trying to cover everything for everyone. You do have a very specific type of person you're serving and belief for how you can serve them. And so the editorial team is the owner of that vision. They have taste. They have imagination. They have a concise understanding of who they serve and how uniquely they serve them. They're under no pretense that they are the only ones trying to serve that audience. So there are a lot of complimentary co-marketing partners you could work with and creators you can tap. So I'd say, you know, that, that forces you to think like an editorial team that is also very narrowly focused. The other way to think about, about this is, could you act more like a record label? Yes. Before record labels got too big for their britches. Um, before, you know, streaming maybe destroyed some aspects of that business. Although I'd say a lot of these companies are getting a lot more revenue now than we know. Um, so when you act like a record label, now you're like, okay, well, who are the types of artists we will work with? Who are the types of people that we want to go out to and say, look, we're going to build this platform about this thing for this type of music or in yes. this case content, right? Uh, Jared, I think you create amazing business-oriented shows that focus on SMBs that, and I'm just making this all up, that also have this human interest lead to it. And so we're trying to do that. We're trying to be like the CNN great big story of business. All right. So we're going to tap Jared now because we're going to work with all these amazing creative people who have the skills we need and give them a platform to do this well. Um, an easy example of a company doing this right now is MailChimp. Shopify is doing this as well. Um, MailChimp is being a little bit scattershot. They're like stringing up a ton of projects, but the ones that hit are going to really hit because they're like, hey, we have reach and funds and a business model. We know if I went out to Jared and said, Jared, please make something creatively aspirational for us. You probably won't be able to fund this through advertising. We know that. You may not know how to sell this to um, a show network, but we're a brand that believes what you believe. Make this show under our brand, under our umbrella. We will give you audience. And by doing so, we are also going to essentially have this IP that supports our own mission, right? So it's a great, beautiful partnership. So think like a niche editorial team. You own the content and create it, and you can partner with others. Or think like a record label where you're kind of like optioning, and I'm using air quotes again, the creators who are good at this stuff. And you're like a tastemaker, yeah. You're a tastemaker. Oh, yeah. That's the best way to say it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that's really cool. That's uh, a really cool way to to dive down to it. And I know me media company sounds terrible. I shouldn't have used that. It shouldn't be media company. No, it's, it's, it, I understand what you mean. I <laughs> think the yeah. problem is like you and I would think of it one way. And, right. and it's really common to start looking at the media world and being like, oh boy. 
Right, right, <laughs> right. And I, yeah, and, and, and in reality, it's how do you become the tastemaker for your your industry or your niche, like you're saying, so that you can continue to put out great content? Because I think something that you know eventually is is going to change is just the volume of content has to be always there. Um, I don't I don't know if that'll always change. Obviously quality over quantity is always a better thing, but at some point in just the way things are in the fire hose of life right now, you know, obviously quantity does play some, some regards into that, but yeah, just exactly being a tastemaker in your, in your niche is yeah. a great way to put it. You can even like pull apart those two words. Cause there's like the quality of something is one spectrum. The quantity of it is another spectrum. Totally. So in a way they're, they're not always mutually exclusive. Um, I, I think one way to look at it is the Ira glass quote about the gap so ira glass the host of this american life said my favorite quote about creativity because it speaks to what creativity actually is it doesn't mean some pithy insight or a lightning strike moment or the muse it's not for a chosen few creativity is practice or if you want to re- reinterpret practice as things that are attainable repetition plus reinvention yeah that's it so what what ira said was when you get into this work you get into it because you have a certain taste so there's the quality. It's like, I'd like to, I have a vision for an ambition for quality and that's not going away. The problem is your skills don't match the taste. Right. So there's a gap between your abilities to put out the work and what you want the work to be. And the only way to close that gap is you have to put out a lot of work. So putting in reps is so important, whether that's a side project to help you the day job, whatever it's the, in, so it's the intent to be high quality and the willingness to take one step forward right now and apply that same thing every day. And so the body of work to me is really, really important. And to me, that's quantity. Um, but the intent to be quality has to remain. Sure. I think it's where we, where we make it a debate. Like quality and quantity are opposite, so we got to pick. Yeah, where we're can we cut to, to pump out yeah, more? Yeah, we're, yeah. we're trying to get an out for ourselves. Right, like, oh, I, don't, right. I don't have to be quality because I have to do quantity. Right. No, 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 no. Within the constraint you've been given, five blog posts a week, one episode a week, whatever, you have to make those high quality, right? It's about the way you approach the work you do and the time you spend, yep. not how much or how little you do. Yeah. Side note on the other end of that spectrum, there's the, it's not perfect. So I'll never put it out. <laughs> right. So, or let me pick your brain for coffee or I have a plan that I'd like yeah, you to review or, yeah. uh, or, 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 and it's like, I used to try and help people uh, do this stuff. Cause the only people coming to me were friends. <laughs> so right. I was like, yeah, you're a buddy. And and now that I've done more work and, and became slightly more visible to just not my mom, um, so it's like, you know, one halo out when people come to me and I'm like, that's great. I need a specific question though. Do 20 of these. And then if you're stuck with something, come back and ask me a question about it. I'm happy to help. And either they don't do anything. Right. So I never hear from them again or they do. And their question is really powerful for their work. Cause I'm like, Oh, I get it. I can review some of this work for you. And you have this really specific barrier or question and I can give you a really specific answer which, by the way, doesn't take much time for me, but for them, it's, it's very useful, right? Because it's where they were struggling. Um, yeah, but it, so that's the separating factor. It's doing a lot of work. Yeah, man. I, I mean, just as an artist in general, I've hit. I know that barrier, man. It's it's always tough, it and sucks. I'm sure you've hit it. Yeah, that's the sure worst. It. It's the worst. You feel crippled. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what have you seen as like a return from the power of these shows? Um, cause I think, you know, obviously that's a, that's a super important part. Like I've just put in all this time and money and effort and hours mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever the currency is that you've put into it. What is the value that's coming back from that? And like how, in yeah. your experience, like how, how have you seen that? 
I, I, I'd paint it like this. Um, imagine there are two brands that exist, call them brand A and brand B. Brand A is wildly awarded. They win all these industry awards. They're, uh, you know, other marketers look at them with envy. They have endless budget. Their executives just get it and they're allowed to do creative things. Then you have brand B. They have way fewer resources and team. The executives come and go. Um, they don't quite get modern marketing, but brand B has a one-to-one in the real world relationship with every single human they could possibly sell a product to. Like it's impossible, but imagine that was the case. Right. You would want to be brand B. Yeah, totally. Like your best friends don't have to A-B test their headlines to you when they write something for you or share an email. So you'd want that relationship. That's what a show does. A show is intimacy that scales. A show, you know, think about the way we talk about our favorite TV shows or our favorite entertainment based podcasts. Yeah, it's exactly what I always think about. It's, this is not new. This is not rocket science. This is not hard. We just have to stop thinking that there's some complicated answer in a marketing context. We overcomplicate this stuff understandably because we have a million stakeholders and all this change. And by the way, an industry telling us your work is always changing. Right. <laughs> so if we just calm down on moment, and metrics and yeah, <laughs> uh, all these points of data, we make it worse on ourselves. But honestly, the job is make something people like that seems like it's uniquely from you. And it's really hard because it's hard to understand the people part. Who are you serving? It's hard to understand the like part. How do you resonate? And it's hard to understand yourself. Self-awareness is really difficult, right? Yeah. These aren't, this isn't an automation problem. (laughs) This isn't an optimization problem. This is a human problem and it's imminently solvable. So the return is you have real relationships. What does that do? Um, the people who engage with you over time are more likely to take action on your behalf. The, if they encounter your marketing or sales elsewhere outside the show, it'll be higher uh, hit rate because they're more likely to engage. You know, it's almost like I, I saw you in a blog post from someone I admire and then I saw your brand term on search and I clicked the brand term, right? So that like lift elsewhere. Um, they're more likely to evangelize your cause, which by the way means not only is the audience higher value because of the audience, but the same audience helps you lower your cost of acquisition because they're going to go talk about you and bring you right. new people for free. Um, so I think the way I like to phrase this is if you spent all of your time as a marketer um, thinking about concentric circles and the outermost one is strangers, the innermost one is super fans, your job is to go one to two circles out to like casual observers and work really, really hard to serve them really, really deeply and make them all super fans. And then they will explode outward and get you everybody else you could hope to reach. But what we do is we assume we're capable of doing that. Like our show is worthy of that already. And so we stop trying to go deeper and inward and we start trying to do what's very expensive and inefficient, which is we start trying to go cold to lots more people, right? And that's where we think we're clever. We think we're marketers. We think we're growth oriented and actually we're doing something that's harder to grow. Yeah. So start by deepening the relationship. That's what the show does. Yeah. And I think if you, if you frame it in that context, the first off the visual you just gave with the concentric circles is amazing. That's a a great way to visualize that. But it's like, I mean, it's the old school referral business. Like it's that, you know, you tell one person, they're going to tell 10 people, they're going to tell a thousand people or a hundred people, a thousand people and so on. Like it's, yeah, the referral business game is, is, can be applied to the same like theory. Right. And, and B2B, B2C, direct-to-consumer, the business model doesn't matter, even media, it's a lot easier to get somebody to just try you out than it is for them to commit, spend serious time with you and love you. And right. that's why we don't do this is because we either assume, like I said before, that we're already capable of doing it. Like our show is already creating super fans. Look at Barry. He listens to every episode. I always hear from him on Twitter. Uh, we assume too much or it just feels really stinking hard. It takes more effort than we think. 
And the problem is now we're, we're basically building on sand. We're like, we can acquire customers all the time, right? I, this happened to me at HubSpot. We got really good at putting names in a database. Now, I didn't like the tactics that we used when I was there, and that's why I left. But we got really good at getting people to fill out a form um, for the perception of value behind the form. And again, I disagreed with that approach wholeheartedly. I was not long for that company. But I was thinking to myself the other day, wow, we really were good at like bloating the numbers and not caring what happened on the back end. And sure enough, the conversion rate to, to customer, to paying customer was really small from the leads we drove and the stickiness. In yeah. other words, like the, the, the retention of those customers was very low, meaning churn was really high. So we thought we were clever. We thought we were good. What we were doing was making it way more expensive and costly for the company to operate. Yeah, because at that point, you just have to keep going for bigger and bigger and more volume and more volume, right? Because yeah, you're, yeah the churn rate becomes kind of crazy. Right, um, right. Yeah. So unless you consider yourself this behemoth like a HubSpot where you can kind of like throw mass budgets and reach at people, um, maybe think more like concentric circles than a funnel. Yep. So that's, gr- I mean, this is a great segue really quick into distribution. Um, so distribution channel. So I know you're, you're primarily, at least just from what I know, and this is obviously just what I've listened to from what you put out, but mainly focused on at least the audio format. And I know you said you're format agnostic uh, or medium ad- agnostic, but what other distribution channels outside of just like your typical podcast show? I mean, are you like, do you guys try to formulate things for YouTube if there's going to be a video component? Um, do you believe in only going, you know, in, in a certain route towards um, different distribution channels? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a big believer in leaning into what's working, not to abuse it, but to understand why. Like, I think our, our managing editor the other day said this beautifully. Her name is Molly Donovan. And we were talking about the types of things that we like to write and why we like to write them. And she's like, you know, the same can be applied to the audience and like why they like to read them. And so what she said was like, resonance is teachable. Like you can teach other people to create things that resonate deeply, which means if you're on the receiving end of that education, resonance is learnable. So this is a philosophy we take with us into our workshops with our students. Um, I now have the phrase that sums up 10 years of my work in three words. Res- <laughs> resonance is teachable. I believe that. There's firmly. the magic that's, bullet. <laughs> Ten right, years. There, there's the phrase. I finally have the sum up. Thanks to Molly, who's far better at words than I am, apparently. But the reason I bring that up is um, when we think about distribution, we think about alerting people. People don't need more alerts. Right. If they're on that channel, right? If the, the reason, like a newsletter is a good example. Um, a friend of mine, Ann Handley, likes to say it's about the letter, not the news, right? The letter part. It, it's, a, it's always about resonance, but because we can measure reach so much more easily and it's egotistical of us to think we can have more people um, pay attention to us and like us, more, 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 more becomes the goal. But if you start with resonance, now you're thinking to yourself, okay, so on a given channel, what resonates, what's the overlap between what they're here for and what we're trying to evangelize? Um, a pithy way to sum it up is marketing is actually about participation, not promotion. So distribution is a byproduct of you being a participant in the community. Because if you're not consistently, how can you hope to serve them and help them and create stuff that they care about, right? So if you're trying to think through a channel, you have to be a participant. So how does that affect like our business? Um, you know, I, I think about the newsletter that is a companion to three clips, our podcast and our blog. 
the newsletter is about me writing one really big question to you every week that can help reframe your thinking when it comes to creativity, content marketing, brand building through your show. One question, and I'll write it out. That question is usually sparked in the podcast. So now we have this harmonious relationship between the two. The podcast is about vetting examples, deconstructing creativity. The newsletter is about asking you this really pointed question and asking you to try it out and think about it and engage with me. And then we do a little bit of a sum up of links at the end. So the way I try to think about distribution is we have things that are working elsewhere. What is the relationship to this new channel we're considering to that thing? So the newsletter podcast is a really good example. Podcast is proven. We get it. It drives students. People love it. What is the newsletter going to be as a complement to that? And how do they feed each other? So we're not just saying, we also have a newsletter. If you'd like a different kind of alert, this yeah. one's over email. Instead of a red dot on your phone, you get an email, right? Instead of a Twitter alert, you get, you know, this is madness. We're just like stringing up alerts, telling people we did a thing everywhere. Instead of trying to think, in like a system, you know, like we're building a basketball team. Every one of these players has a different type of role. Not everybody's role is to score immediately, like drive a direct result. They all have to complement each other. So how are we doing that? So that's how I think about distribution. Nice, man. That's yeah. And that's something that, um, you know, obviously as we're same thing, we're trying to tackle, like what, what does this channel do for what you're, you know, looking to complement X, We'll call it X right now. But yeah, exactly. I didn't sum it up as nice as you did. So please listen to Jason. Look, it's hard. It's hard. The strategy is always prettier than the reality. Always. Like if you look at my Twitter right now, we're really leaning into the next cohort of our workshops because open enrollment started early August. So you're going to see me talking more about like the fact that we have something away over here. Right. And not so much use Twitter to build rapport and share early ideas with people. There's some of that still. Um, but the purpose has shifted. Why? Because the screws feel like they're turning in my back. Like we got to fill the workshop. Right. right so, right. so the strategy always sounds prettier, but if you don't have a, a strategy, you, you just don't have hope for the execution to be anywhere near it. So right now there's a, again, going back to the quantity quality debate that always goes on. There's a consensus. Like if you're like, we're shooting this podcast right now in video, how do we distribute it? How do we repurpose this content? Again, going back to like we spent a lot of time and hours in prepping, like how do you squeeze the most juice out of it? What mm-hmm. are what are your thoughts about uh, just framed around, you know, like, okay, I have this piece of content. I need to repurpose it a million ways. Uh, make something really, really good in one place uh, and then have the happy problem that you need to put it in all, more places. Like cool. if the content you're capturing in one spot isn't special, putting it in more places is not going to make it more special. It's not going to make people care. Um, we're trying to brute force our way to orbit by like putting a better coat of paint on a dud missile, fix the circuitry first. Right? So, um, this idea that you can put, you know, I'll give you two examples. Uh, Wistia recently had a, a video show called Brandwagon. Yep. They had a bunch of segments in it. And one of those segments was an interview. It was like a late night talk show style show. So one of the segments naturally is your special guest. So Chris Savage, the CEO did the interview. Well, he interviewed the guests for an hour, but the final cut of every episode with multiple segments was like 15 minutes. Yep. So you have all this stuff on the cutting room floor. So what they said was, if you're a super fan of the show and you want to go really deep into the guest or you love the guest, here's a podcast called the Brandwagon interviews. You can get the whole uncut interview in audio form over here. That's an amazing use of this like repurposable content. Because they're like, there's a discrete value in the show 
that is not found in the podcast and vice versa, right? The discrete value of the show is that you have this multiple segment, like kind of one overarching theme, dynamism of all these funny things, serious things rolled together. But the podcast, it's like, now you're going to go deep. It's going to be a little slower. You're going to be, you know, exposed to more ideas that didn't make the final cut of the video. It's when we try to say, I'm taking the video from the podcast and I'm putting it up Joe Rogan style, right? Because sorry, people, we are not celebrities, <laughs> right? Who, right? Like Joe Rogan, I have a whole other thing I can talk about with him, but that's for a different show. Um, <laughs> so we're not just spraying it everywhere. We have to reinvent it for a discrete purpose elsewhere. Um, the, the second example I promised you was, a, I'll just kind of whitewash over who they are, but I noticed a brand the other day, they're in B2B just like Wistia, and they just filmed their podcast hosts having a co-hosted conversation and slapped it up on YouTube. And they, I noticed them promote it. They said they had a video show on YouTube. No, they put their podcast on YouTube, right? It's like saying, if you're an Italian restaurant, it's like taking a few of your pastries from the back of the kitchen and putting it on a folding table in front of your store, in front of your restaurant and saying, we also run a bakery. It's like, no, if you want to run a bakery, great, but you have to get into the business of running a bakery and all it entails. If you want to make a video show, great, but you have to cultivate it as a true video show and build community around it and articulate ideas differently and execute the production differently. Like these are discrete things with, with discrete value. Um, it's fine if you want the lazy way out, just admit that's what it is, right? Hey, we have a video show. And by the way, if you're walking somewhere, you don't want to stare at a screen. We just put the whole thing on a podcast for you. That might Great. work in some cases. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's just about saying to your audience and to yourself, there's a discrete purpose for putting it elsewhere. Here's what that purpose is. By the way, it's different than the main place we published it. And if you know what that is and you're honest about it, that takes care of everything else. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love that. And I'll, we'll end it on that because that's that's really, really awesome advice because we get the we get that question a lot um and always kind of feel under the pressure to oh well we just you know spent x producing this how do we make sure that we can get you know everything out of it um but Jared, still Jared, make the it. problem the problem is perceived value not real value right, the problem right. is the client is saying there I, I am perceiving or justifying to my boss there's value in getting two types of content and more content because I know if I ask you to make more content, it costs me more money. So now I'm getting it for cheaper. Right. They're focused on their own aims, which is and like collection of stuff. But if you're thinking about the value to the audience, they'd very really I quickly, I hope, realize, oh, really, is there much value at all? Or, you know, how do we articulate that value, et cetera? So it's this perception that hoarding stuff is somehow good marketing. Yep. Um, perfect. All right. So really quick. What podcast are you like into right now? And it can be, you know, obviously it can be non-business related. Just what, what yeah. are you really like digging right now? Yeah. I mean, I spent half my listening experiences are all with shows that we're reviewing on three clips. So for example, right after this, I'm getting on uh, an interview with the uh, editorial director at Buffer nice. and they have uh, their third show coming out, their third original series. We're breaking down their second, which is like a docu style um, story of an agency rebranding into a product company and they followed their journey. Um, so the show was called Breaking Brand. So I've been listening to Breaking Brand. It's really well made. Can't wait to talk to Ash about that uh, over at Buffer. Honestly, the, the other shows that I try to listen to, they're escapism because I'm so focused on the business shows. Sure. And the, or the shows from brands anyway. Yeah. 
that I'm like, get me the hell out of this world once in a while. I get it, man. Yeah. Right? So uh, I'm really, really big into the TV show Scrubs. It's my favorite show of all time. And they have a companion rewatch podcast right now called Fake Doctors, Real Friends. If you know, you know. Um, I really like Mike Birbiglia, the comedian. So he's got a new podcast out called uh, Working It Out, where they work out new bits with fellow comedians. If you want to know the big missing piece inside episodes made by marketers, listen to Mike Birbiglia's show. He's got segments. He does something called the slow round where he structures the interview, right? It's still an interview show, but he has some kind of plan, the way to structure it. So it's a really good example. Not only is there a meta lesson there, it's just really fun. Um, You know, and then I've also recently picked up Great Big Story. They do videos. um, They're a CNN company or ARM. They do these amazing human interest videos. But during quarantine, obviously, they're not out shooting. So they're doing really short human interest um, podcasts, which are amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that I think right now the the silver lining is the style and the way content is coming out. So we're big fans of Wistia as well, um, and uh, Sandwich Video. Who these guys are like still producing amazing high level content in a crazy time, and they haven't you know skipped a beat or made the excuse like oh well you know COVID has happened and we can't do production. They just uh, keep finding ways to reinvent and, and innovate. And um, that's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. It, 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 you can take heart in the fact that if you look at the actual research into creativity, studies show that constraints yield more ideas and better ideas. Totally. The, the problem is you have to know what the constraints are. A lot of people don't because they're, you know, their bosses or their teams, they, they just don't articulate it. So you have to know what the constraints are and agree on them. And it's when we don't know what they are, we run into an imaginary wall or an invisible wall, I should say, uh, or we disagree with them. And that's when you want creative freedom. Problem is there's no such thing. Right. There's always a set of constraints and limitations and preconceived notions and abilities. There's always a list of constraints. So you're better off just knowing what the box is ahead of time, because as the science shows, you can then innovate a lot better inside the box. Totally. Um, so I like to say, when you, when you say think outside the box, I'm like, which box do you mean? Because I can't think outside of all boxes. I can think of outside of this box over here you're telling me to avoid. So let's talk about what that box is. Now let's put ourselves in a new and better box. That's great, man. Uh, I want to leave it on that. That's awesome. All right, really quick. Where can everybody find all things Jay and Marketing Showrunners? All over the internet. I think it's a, just Perfect. a series of tubes that connect me to you. So just find me there anywhere. Um, the best work we're doing right now is our workshops. I'm sorry that is a paid product, but the content from the workshops gets published to our podcast, to our blog, to our newsletter every week. Amazing. Cool, man. Thank you so much for being on today. Um, it was a pleasure to finally meet you in face-to-face person and uh, and just kind of pick your brain for a few minutes, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate all the love and the support. You guys do great work, so keep it up. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thanks to Jay for being our guest. And thanks to our team who put this together. If you like what you heard, make sure you rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Lights Camera Grow podcast. And for more information, head on over to tobyagency.co. Thanks for listening.